The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live Market Watch Edition. I'm Jeremy Owens, Tech Editor and San Francisco Bureau Chief for Market Watch. Joining me today is Beth Kindig, Tech Analyst of IO Fund. Welcome, Beth. Thanks so much for joining me today. Good to see you again, Jeremy. Um, I, I talk to Beth a lot about tech stocks, especially cloud software stocks, um, along with ad tech and streaming. So I wanted to bring her on today to talk about cloud software a little bit. We have definitely seen the, the entire cloud software sector, especially anything below the giants like Mar uh, Microsoft and Salesforce really get hit this year. Even Salesforce isn't doing great. Um, but that just means you have a better chance to get in if you want to, right? I mean, where are the valuations, Beth? When we talked, you said they're not really at that great of a point right now, even with the decline so far this year. Yeah, I would put them into two categories, best of breed. Uh, the discounts right now, uh, some of them are still trading actually two times higher than their COVID low. Uh, this is best of breed. I, you can point to a few that were public at that time. I guess Datadog comes to mind. Um, it was trading around a 10 forward, it's, you know, somewhere hovering around a 20 forward. So that's, that's just one example. But I would say overall, uh, the thing that cloud investors face on valuations, and this is probably the top point to make, is that most cloud companies were not public during a rising rate environment. Um, you know, I would say the last rising rate environment we had was 2017 to 2018, which was actually pretty tame. And uh, that rising rate environment, um, most of the best of breed and others were not actually public during that time. So as investors, we've been forced to evaluate cloud companies uh, for the bottom line, expanding margins, positive cash flow. And that's very new, very, very new for cloud investors. That's not the way cloud uh, was examined before. Um, so right. it's I mean, true. price to earnings is kind yeah. of tough when you're posting losses. Right. And I think the, the thing yeah. to get across there really is that the reason you're seeing those big losses is a lot of this, you know, we call it software as a service, right? They are subscriptions. And, and so they can only recognize the revenue that they get within that quarter. Um, but they are, you know, getting these big contracts, long-term contracts. And, and so that, that's one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about today, Beth, is, is the tools for retail investors to use to judge these companies. Because price to earnings is kind of funky for them, because just earnings is kind of funky for them, right? In, in most of these cloud software, now you're talking about free cash flow, which is always good for any company. You want to see that money coming in and rotating, right? Um, what, what else are we really looking for, especially in the subscription business, that's going to tell us that this company is healthy, that that may not show up on that EPS line on in the free cash flow or anywhere else? Yeah, I mean, I do want to revisit free cash flow because when you look at the top 10, and I'm going to call them best of breed just to keep it simple, um, almost all of them are free cash flow positive. Uh, the top seven are all free cash flow positive with the exception of Cloudflare. So I think the market is entirely basing uh, valuations based on free cash flow positive. That's the one pattern we're seeing right now. And then, of course, gap operating margin is a big one because it takes into account stock-based compensation, which companies are getting hit left and right. 
if their stock-based compensation is really high. Um, and I would say that even when you look at key metrics, um, you know, net retention rate or, uh, you know, whatever it might be, RPO, things like that, um, ultimately the one, um, you know, the, the, the one con consistent thing that has been occurring is if you have a miss on your gap operating margin or even adjusted operating margin, either of those, and a miss on free cash flow, it doesn't matter if you came in strong on revenue growth, it doesn't matter if your forward uh, guidance is strong on revenue growth, if you miss on one of those two, you're getting slaughtered after hours. And there's a reason for that. And that's because in a rising rate environment, cash gets re-rated. And these cloud stocks have never been, again, public in a rising rate environment. The far majority came public after that, you know, tame period we had from the Fed mm -hmm. that was raising rates. And this is an aggressive rising rate environment. So it's all about cash right now. Yeah, most of these companies did not expect that when they went public. A lot of these companies went public mm -hmm. in 1920, 21, right? So so they, they're still new. They're experiencing this for the first time. Um, the, the other thing I'd like to talk about is the difference between a subscription business and a consumption business. And this is actually interesting. One of the questions we received uh, already, and if you do have questions, please do send them in. We want to get to these questions, and I'll try and bring some of them in while we're discussing now, and I'll try to discuss some of them later. But th there was one asking about which is the better long-term investment, Snowflake or MongoDB. And, and you know, th th I believe both of those are consumption businesses more than subscription businesses, right? Yes, Atlas, MongoDB Atlas is consumption-based and Snowflake is definitely con entirely consumption-based. So, so what are you really looking for for consumption-based? What are you trying to use to, to determine that? We, I've seen this, we've actually seen companies kind of pivoting toward being a consumption business and, and to you know, break down the difference for, for people who are listening and don't know this. Like a subscription business, obviously you say, I'm going to use this software for the X number of months, I'll pay you, you know, whatever a month, right? A consumption business, I will pay you for however much I use and we're not gonna say how much I'm using, right? Maybe I'll have a baseline. But then as you continue to use it and you use it more, you pay more and more and more. And, and Snowflake really made this popular, right? Snowflake is a, a, a cloud database company um, that, that has done really well, that even Warren Buffett bought into the IPO, which blew everybody's mind because he doesn't like tech companies, especially young tech companies. But they are really the, the, the face of this type of consumption business. We saw C3.ai actually switch from a subscription business to a consumption business. Uh, just this last quarter, they announced that stock got really hammered because it's going to affect the near term, but could be a smart play in the long term. So talk to me a little bit about consumption businesses and what you look for there and, and how to judge them. Yeah, I would say look for the big data and analytics trend. This is your data storage processing, just you know, big analytics uh, queries things like that, those are all moving towards consumption-based model, models. So that means it's based on usage and consumption. Um, like you said, this is different than subscription agreements, which are fixed. Um, there are some pros and cons to the consumption-based model. Um, the, it, the drawback is that it can be lumpy, but again, it's uncapped. So if you give me a strong bull market when you know AI and machine learning are moving, and they will be moving at some point here in the next couple of years, um, those are going to be uh, by far, you know, category leading valuations, which we're seeing right now with Snowflake. Snowflake is a 20 forward price to sales. The next step is 15. Um, and so you can kind of get these higher valuations out of those companies because the idea is that it's uncapped. Um, so, uh, you know, MongoDB, and At uh, MongoDB Atlas had a little bit of a miss recently, or I should say MongoDB as a whole. 
uh, because they want to spend on growth. So um, the thing about the consumption model is that, uh, you know, MongoDB is trying to move forward aggressively. The market doesn't like that. So again, it goes back to that, you know, cash and uh, and operating margin. Uh, even though you have a mm -hmm. great business model, you're going to do great long term. Wall Street wants perfection in every quarter, and most tech companies aren't designed to do that. So that's a separate conversation. Other than we have some strong companies in the consumption based model centered there that uh, will have a, a miss, and the market will be very drastic in its reaction. They were very the market was very drastic to Snowflake in in the Q1. Uh, reporting, I think May or early June is when they reported. It was very drastic because it's lumpy. And what we found was that Snowflake had some exposure to discretionary spending. Uh, the rumor was it was Coinbase. Um, I saw that later in analyst notes. Um, that's me being a messenger. Uh, and uh, you know, if Coinbase was struggling, Snowflake's consumption was down with a anchor, or I should say, a tier one level customer. So you will see a little bit more lumpiness, but long term, you have this uncapped potential. And that's where the consumption model comes in. Um, I would also draw, uh, while we're on it, Jeremy, the difference between net retention rates on subscription versus consumption. You'll often see net retention rate, like something with Snowflake, be very high. It can reaccelerate. Mm -hmm. I think it's in the 170s. I, I know it has been in the 170s recently. Meanwhile, a really strong subscription company will be 130, 140, 145. And those aren't necessarily apples to apples because the idea is that customers come on, they ramp, and uh, over time, they spend more. Therefore, net retention rate with a consumption model is just naturally going to be higher in those situations. Um, yeah, and I've, and I've understood that net retention rate is a huge thing for consumption businesses, especially because that what that measures is how much of the business from last year you're repeating this year. So if you're over 100 percent, the the average customer is spending much more with you in terms of of the net retention rate. While for subscriptions, you're really looking for that uh, ARR, right? The the billings, the bookings. However, you know that everybody uses a different word for it, but it's basically money under contract in the future, right? Like I said, you can only recognize the revenue that was spent with you during that quarter. What you want to do is give people an idea of how much your customers have guaranteed to spend with you over the long term so that you can say, while well, we only recognize this much revenue this quarter, here's how much revenue we have in the pipeline coming down, right? Yes. And for Snowflake, that's remorning, uh, remaining performance obligations. Um, so basically you purchase consumption at specified prices. I think the last time I ran the numbers, it was probably in May. Um, it was about a two and a half year contract. So, you know, that's a metric that the market likes to see a lot. I do want to say that even though we the consumption model um, is going to be very strong long term, it's absolutely something to, you know, put in your pocket for when the market is a little more bullish. Um, if any of these companies miss on their operating margin or their cash flow, they will get completely uh, slaughtered after hours. So, I mean, Snowflake, the thing about a Snowflake is that it's, it can be lumpy. And so I own Snowflake and I do want to disclose that, I, although I am fully prepared for if Snowflake misses on cash or operating margin, that thing can be down 20% after hours easily. So you have to hold both realities, right? There's the, there's this like, great product, awesome business model, going to crush it with AI ML. And then there's, well, Wall Street needs perfection every quarter. And what if mm -hmm. these companies can't provide perfection because their model is a conception model? So are you okay with that? Um, and so yeah, you gotta it, be it feels like to, 
you know, William's question of, of Snowflake versus MongoDB. Snowflake, like, might be the, the more premium, uh, you know, the more premium stock to own, but you're also paying a higher uh, multiple and taking a little more danger there because of that higher multiple and, and the chance that it, it doesn't live up to that that multiple. While MongoDB is is a little bit lower on the totem pole right now in Wall Street's eyes. So you maybe you're getting at a lower multiple, but you also have some more risk there as well. Snowflake technically competes in a bigger market. Um, it's trying to dis disrupt traditional SQL databases and um, it can do so very effectively. It does have a large competitor, uh, Databricks. They will say that they are, um, you know, complement one another, but I, I see them more as competitors. And um, then of course, big tech can move in too, um, where Snowflake remains attractive because it's cloud agnostic, but um, I'd say Google's BigQuery is up there with a competitor for Snowflake. Um, and then MongoDB is in a smaller market because it's no SQL, but it's probably uh, by far the leading. I, I don't see I don't see a lot of strong competition for MongoDB in the no SQL market. So fewer competitors, smaller market versus bigger market, bigger competitors. Um, I also own MongoDB while we're on it. And um, I play, you know, I'm, I'm happy to own both for the long term. I don't need to choose. I don't think that they cannibalize one another. I think they both have a space in my portfolio, particularly because of AI and machine learning that's coming. Big tech likes NoSQL. Big tech is a leading indicator in my mind as to what kind of tools and databases are going to be needed for machine learning. And they all are on NoSQL. So. That's great. Uh, so, so let's go to a different sector real quick, right? When when I met Beth years ago, the the reason I reached out to her is she was the first person who told me about Facebook's or Apple's move that would uh, affect Facebook, and and nobody else talked about it for a year, um, and now it has just absolutely disrupted Facebook over the past year plus, right? Um, and, and so I do want to talk about ad tech and and. You know, online advertising is having some troubles right now, but one of the big things that's happening in that industry is streaming is moving toward adding commercials. We're seeing Netflix looking at an advertising uh, focused tier, advertising supported tier, so it'll be cheaper to consumers with commercials or you pay more without. Disney Plus is adding ads. So this is, you know, we already see Hulu with ads as an option. Um, where are we seeing that money flow to from streaming to ad tech? And, and in general, what are we going to see as a result of this for both of those sectors? Yeah, I think streaming's plateauing. Um, I actually made that case a while ago. And thank you for mentioning the Facebook call. I actually think that I'm so painfully early that if I could just put something in a box and open <laughs> it up a year later and then and then invest in it, that would be so much better. And, you know, we did actually call the top in Facebook, which was super bold in 2018, because it was the tech market darling stock. And people may not remember, but 2018 was like, how dare you say Facebook's gonna go down? <laughs> um, I mean, I got so much, so many trolls off of that. It was unbelievable. Um, I was thinking about screenshotting it sometime and sending it out. Get, <laughs> yeah, just start, yeah, just start bringing those screenshots out now. You just had to wait a few years and put them in the vault. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, let's see here. The thing about streaming, I, I had actually said it would be plateauing because we're talking, I'm just roughly guessing. I, I, I do have the year, but I think it came out in 2007, 2008 officially. And then Netflix was really rolling in 2010. Um, so we're looking at a 12-year market right now. 
um, minimum, maybe a 14, depending on how you cut it. Um, I mean, like Hulu and stuff was out, I think 20, uh, you know, 2008. And so, you know, usually in tech around 14, 15 years, uh, you know, you, that's maturity. I mean, that, that's puberty, right? Like you're, you're, yeah. you're, you're going to experience some different stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the hype cycle's over. And so the thing about CTV ads is we got a lot going on here. And I, I like to remind people of this because we're going through absolute historic bottom for valuations on ad tech. This is like unbelievable. And I think like we talk about the exuberance of, you know, 2021, I think we'll talk about the extreme fear of 2022. These ad tech valuations make zero sense. There is minimum 100% room in so many of these names right now. If they can just show they have a pulse, they can just show that they're going to have this bottom that I believe they did hit, which means that they're just going to return to growth a little bit, a, a little bit this quarter and a little bit next quarter. And again, I could be a little early on that. It could be Q4 where we see a little dialing up of the growth rates. But the market like will like to see a return to growth. And if so, I think we'll see a big move back into these names. But long story short, there's a lot going on with CTV ads that should not be underestimated. The first one is that it's a very new trend. Um, you can stamp 2018 as the year that this trend uh, launched. And uh, we know that because uh, Roku actually was one of the first to come out with a CTV ad platform. And budgets, though, at that time were very marginal. So I would almost say 2020 is when these pay TV budgets, which are very conservative types, you know, they, they buy uh, on contract and, you know, you're talking like, you know, these old school advertisers that buy pay TV inventory. Um, they started to move in with COVID because of the streaming change. Anyways. Um, so yeah, we saw that in, in Roku and basically the trade desk is their partner for their, their connected TV ads, right? Yes. So we've kind of seen them in tandem almost trade, right? When Roku has a bad uh, quarter, then then TTD get, gets hit as well. Now we're kind of seeing big tech get in here, right? Like Microsoft got the, the deal with Netflix to handle their CTV ads. Um, Google's YouTube TV is, is a big home for those CTV ads and handles it kind of in-house, right? So, so, you know, are we seeing kind of big tech bust into that ad tech market a little bit or, or are there still individual players that will matter? I mean, big tech's actually been there for a while. Roku likes to make that point. They're like, there's never been a day that they can remember where they weren't competing with Amazon and Google. And I can kind of remember that too, right? Even just as a somebody who's had, you know, uh, cut the cord a long time ago. Um, but no, I understand what you're saying. They're putting more muscle behind it. I think like, you know, the North American football uh, rights that they've been buying, things like that shows they're putting a lot of muscle behind it. Um, but now we have the juggernaut in media you know, the global juggernaut, uh, Netflix moving into ads. And uh, one reason is that you can use data uh, to inform the ad while having um, the completion rate of a television. That's awesome. Like mobile mm -hmm. does not have, does not have good completion rates because you're busy. You know, you put your phone in your pocket, you look at something for five seconds, you're moving on. So, but TV, you're sitting there for hours, you know, or whatever it is, and you're watching that whole commercial and then um, and maybe on your phone it. searching for whatever you're seeing on the ad, right? Like the, the whole exactly. second screen stuff that, that a lot of them like to talk about. Exactly. So we're seeing average revenue per user on some of these companies uh, reach Facebook already. Facebook's usually in the 40s, uh, 50s, somewhere in there. And we're already starting to hit those levels a couple of years in. It took Facebook seven to eight years to get that kind of average revenue per user. 
Um, and remember, this is the data mining company of all time. They have so much data, it's unbelievable. And they're, so what, is that, what does that tell you about the value, the value of CTV ads? Very, very high. Facebook right. level high, data level, uh, powering those ads. So um, I think that that's, you know, if you add all those things together, it's a very investable trend and it's on a fire sale right now. We're talking basement bargain prices. If you can stomach um, the volatility, I can't, I can't say enough that ad tech volatility is, you know, makes the volatility we've seen in the market the last couple of years <laughs> look like a nice little placid day on the lake uh, uh, in a paddle boat, you know, and they tend to yeah. swing. Yeah, yeah, um, for well, sure. We no did get a question that. from uh, James about Microsoft. Will Microsoft continue to gain share? Microsoft is kind of the, the through line on what we're talking about here. It is the cloud software giant. It is in ad tech. Um, it, it supports the backbone for streaming in, in terms of having cloud computing and a lot of the other stuff. Um, I, and, and I know, Beth, we wanted to talk about the upcoming earnings season real quick. And you said Microsoft was, was the one thing you're watching uh, as we go into earnings season. Why is that? Is that just to see, is, is it the gauge for cloud software and cloud computing that you like to see because it's so huge in both? Yeah, two, two things. I would say it's the bellwether for cloud, as you guys know, um, and it drives down costs. So it should be the most insulated cloud company we have because uh, the aggregate product suite drives down costs. And so not only do you have the cloud migration trend, but you have the need to drive down costs with budgets right now. So my concern always with Microsoft is that if there's, if, there, if it's not strong, what does that tell me for my best of breed companies? Um, mm -hmm. What kind of exposure do they have? And the reason I bring this up and I'm just a messenger here, I'm not making any bold earnings calls, but if you listen to the analysts on the calls right now, they are all in unison, the majority are in unison that they're very concerned that enterprise will be the next shoe to drop after consumer because the sales cycles are so much longer. Consumer, you know, you can turn off an ad campaign, boom, overnight. Um, people stop buying iPhones, boom, overnight. But in order to see the effects in the enterprise, um, you know, you have to complete that subscription cycle or whatever it might be. And then when it's up for renewal, there's negotiations, people walk, people shut it down, things like that. So it's a longer sales cycle. But then also just in general, uh, they're wondering, uh, these analysts, if enterprise is going to have a lot of exposure. They keep calling it the mid-market. Uh, I believe they're referring to some of the startups that are going out of business right now that are very big cloud customers um, as one big group. Startups eat up the cloud. You know, they're just constantly using cloud products. Um, things like that. So they're just, they're, they're concerned because we've seen some lumpiness in cloud. Um, cybersecurity being the exception. Cybersecurity mm -hmm. is one uh, sector that has been very phen phenomenal. Uh, if you look at its uh, fundamentals and you separate market reaction to macro, um, cybersecurity has been crushing uh, revenue. Out of the top seven, I think four cybersecurity stocks and Three of those four are cash flow positive with strong operating margins. So um, that's one where there's zero discretionary spending going on. So I do want to. Right. I mean, as a is as a CIO, yeah. like, you know, uh, somebody who's determining IT budgets, cybersecurity yeah. is the one place you don't want to scrimp on. Right. But they are looking to to cut some uh, budget right now. You talked about Coinbase. Um, and, and how it looked to cut back. We we talked about that at the beginning of last earnings season where we were a little scared for cloud computing. One of the big expenditures that Coinbase admitted uh, in, in emails to, to looking to cut was its cloud bill. 
And, you know, we're a little bit worried about that cloud growth. That has been the one thing kind of propping up tech stocks, especially Amazon, Microsoft, um, Google, even as, as Google Cloud grows, right? Oracle is, is, is really depending on, you know, its cloud to, to keep investors interested in an old uh, software business. Um, so I think that's what to really look for as we go forward. How are those cloud computing businesses doing? The cloud software as, as well are the bigger companies and the startups looking to cut their costs. And if they're looking to cut their costs, what are they aiming for? Is it their cloud computing bill? Is it cutting certain software programs and, and relying on others? You could see, you know, money shifting, right? From, from you know, paying eight different cloud software bills to paying three which should help Microsoft because they offer just about everything a, a company would need. So we'll be looking for all of that moving forward as we go into earnings season. Let's get to a few more questions from our audience. Um, now, now, Beth, I, I know you started off as a retail investor working in tech before you shifted to investing full time. Adam asks, what are best practices that you'd suggest to retail slash part-time investors, particular resources, courses of study, methods for investing, trading, or the like as, as people are starting to get into it now? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I, you know, I come from a world where I spent, you know, 60 to 80 hours a week on tech products since 2010. Like I'm fully in that world and that's where my brain works best. But I, even with that, I knew that we're, I would watch great companies sell off 40, 50%. These big sell-offs have happened very frequently since I've been a retail investor enough for me to be concerned about it. And so I actually believe um, if you are into fundamentals like myself, go find a great technical analyst, um, go find somebody who obsesses over the broad market, go find somebody who says, you know, um, you know, we're reaching um, support and um, you know, I would wait to see how the how the stock reacts at this support level before I buy. It's going to be lower risk if it can hold. Mm -hmm. um, things like that, because um, the markets are sentiment driven. And uh, whether we like it or not, we're just a bunch of humans all trading on stocks that are driven by and we're driven by greed and fear. And that's the truth of it. And technicals can gauge that. So I would say uh, find your, uh, you know, you, everyone has a strength. Everyone has a weakness. My strength is fundamentals and product. Uh, you know, go find somebody that can tell you uh, in the market's risk on or risk off right now, um, because those technical analyst types are telling you markets topping out while everyone else around you is in a state of exuberance and, you know, buying more. And you don't want to be in that group. You want to be in the group that says, hey, man, like we're stretched right now. We're going to take some profits or this thing's oversold. We're going to buy even though everyone's in a state of fear. So. I would say um, what I'm trying to say is uh, as a tech investor, if you are in the tech industry, I can't imagine navigating it without a technical analyst. Yeah, and I, I would give a shout out to our friends over at Investors Business Daily, uh, uh, another uh, MarketWatch's sister publication that does a lot of the technical analysis um, and, and has some daily video stuff. If you like watching uh, streaming video about um, technical analysis of stocks, they, they do it every day. Um, how with a, a quick follow-up asking what SQL versus non-SQL, um, that's SQL. That is a standard for database programming, right, Beth? And, and, and you're basically saying that Snowflake uses SQL and MongoDB is non-SQL, right? They, they, they are trying to code without, without the SQL. Uh, yeah, one of them is like rows and columns. Um, and the other one is, uh, like documents or collections. Um, so how they store, the data is very different. Um, one of them is 
you know, uh, bound, if you will, by columns and rows, which is old school. It's like Excel, if you can think of Excel format. Um, so Snowflake went that direction first to disrupt a lot of that because it's not data in motion. It's not flexible. It's not fast, you know, all that kind of thing that you need for big data queries. Um, technically, Snowflake is moving into NoSQL, but it's not at the layer uh, in the stack that MongoDB is. MongoDB is a direct, you know, it, it's basically disparate data. So it's images like obviously Google is going to run big query searches on images. If you go to Google images, there's a lot of images. It's, it's more dynamic. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously Facebook is going to run big queries on um, images. There's a ton of images on that site. So, you know, you get out of like these, these formal HR departments or whatever might've been using SQL in the past, these more traditional uses for an enterprise company, finance companies, things like that. And you start breaking down, uh, the types of data and expanding on those types of data. Um, mm -hmm. So that, um, and, and, and in the past, nobody really needed that. Your finance companies are all just going to use SQL. But uh, as we move into machine learning and growth and data volume, um, all the disparate forms of data are going to be very, very important. So. Yeah, and, and and Yasser has asked a couple of questions here. So let me get to those. He wants to know if there's differences in how you value SaaS companies that are exposed to the not not non-tech sectors. Uh, for example, he he mentions STEM. So I'm thinking of like Viva Systems uh, that that focuses on the life sciences. He mentions the energy sector. Um, if there's a different way to value those software, uh, cloud software aimed at those different sectors. And he also asked, what do you see as the future of data streaming in general and Confluent in particular um, and, and, and that business? Yeah, I just think that Confluent, I guess I'll start with Confluent. Um, you know, I've actually held Confluent briefly in the past and I let it go because I feel like it's going to be a bigger product as more companies transition uh, to machine learning. It's a pretty, um, you know, as you guys know, I've, most of you guys know it came from LinkedIn and processes millions of messages every day. And I think before we get a lot of companies that are up to the Kafka level, um, enough of a market, it's, it's going to take a year or two, maybe two to three years. I just like where MongoDB and Snowflake are uh, in terms of market size right now, a little bit better. That's just a personal opinion. Um, and then you had asked about energy stocks, boy. Um, well, I think it's more tough. cloud software oh. aimed at uh, aimed at the energy sector or aimed at the uh, at life sciences sector, things like that. I don't think there's gonna be much different difference in the terms of the metrics you use to judge those companies, right? Cloud software metrics are gonna be kind of uh, the same across uh, whatever sectors they're aiming their product at. But like, you know, when I look at Viva, I don't see much different than when I look at Workday. You know, like, I, I don't know if there's any specialized metrics that matter depending on the sector that the uh, software is used in, right? Yeah, and if you're talking about STEM, um, which is like back of the meter in front of the meter um, and, you know, helps people optimize their energy use, that company probably... I know for pretty much, I can attest to the fact that it moves more with energy than cloud software. That's for sure. So I would be more watching any signals around energy. If you're if you're a software company and the energy is truly disturbing the energy market, you're going to move with the energy market. 
And it right. Yeah. It, it was the strong more so than here. looking for more so than looking for metrics within those companies. You'd be more looking for yeah. performance of their end customers. And and if you're seeing those end customers struggle, they're probably going to be cutting their budgets pretty soon. Right. And we're seeing that a lot. And we're going to be looking for that coming up in the earnings season. Beth, thank you so much for joining us here today. I, I can't okay. thank you enough. And I look forward to talking to you again as earnings roll in. Um, and we hope you listen to our next episode tomorrow when MarketWatch real estate reporter R.T. Swaminathan speaks with Zonda Research's chief economist, Ali Wolf, about the housing market, why we're not building enough homes, and when we'll see prices shift. Thank you again for listening. Stay safe and have a great day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.